and pray that the Lord will bring us life's mess, right? I mean, this is not something that we ask for, and yet it seems like life's messes do find us, don't they? In particular, what I want to make clear this morning as we journey together with Jesus in, in trying to figure out this life and this journey that we're on is that if our life has been committed to the gospel, life's messes are going to find us. I mean, we're not going to search them out. I mean, we're going to want them like we want a headache or an unannounced trip uh, to the dentist, right? But life's messes are going to find us. Eventually, we're going to be knee-deep in a situation uh, that wasn't of our own making, but there we will be uh, because of our commitment to the gospel. And there we will be. It'll be like flour all over the living room floor. And we'll be going, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Several years ago, uh, I remember I got a call on the phone. Uh, it was a good friend of ours. Uh, her name was Christy. And, uh, and uh, Jolyn had actually answered the phone and and uh, uh, she said, uh, hey, is Mike there? And, and I remember Jolyn's face when she handed me the phone. She said, I think there's something wrong. That's never what you want your wife to say when she hands you the phone. She says, I think something's wrong. And, and uh, I get the phone and say, hey, Christy, you know, what's up? And she says, it's Jason Something is wrong. He called me uh, and said something is wrong. He ha happened to be working at the, uh, the local school in the shop that they had. He's an artist, and, and he was uh, working on some, uh, some projects uh, in the shop. And, and she said, something is definitely wrong. The kids are already in bed. I need you to go over. It was late at night. And so I, I drove my, my car over to the school shop. I opened up the, uh, the big steel doors, and there I saw my friend. And uh, he had a big gash over his head, and his uh, his hand, uh, his left hand, was just completely mangled in a mess of blood. He had passed out several times, and I realized that he was in shock. He said, "Hey, man, how's it going? Uh, you're bleeding all over, Jason. We got to get you to the hospital right now." I'm like, "We got to go." He goes, "Ah, let me just wrap this up." I mean, he was he was at the moment taking paper towels and trying to wrap them up as if just a, a little bit of pressure was going to do it. And this is my good friend. He's an artist. I mean, he's made some beautiful things, and I'm thinking, I hope that he gets to keep his finger. And so I get in the car and I take him down to the emergency room and. And he's like, I, I made a mistake. And I was like, yeah, I think you did. And we go into the emergency room, and I'm there as, as they uh, try and take the wedding ring off of his finger, not sure if they're going to be able to save it as it was run through the table saw. And then his wife gets there, and we sit and we pray together. And then there was the long hour trip to the, the larger hospital near us. And I remember just, just riding uh, in, in, in my car down to the hospital, watching as the uh, ambulance is in front of me. And I remember just, just this whole uh, event playing out in front of me. And I'm thinking, God, I, I, I'm not prepared for this. 
I mean, there's no class in college or seminary that, that prepares you for the moment when your good friend calls you and, and, and you have to go and you, you're with them in the emergency room seeing things that you never want to see and, and driving in and, and places that you never want to go. I mean, no, nothing uh, really prepares you for that. It's almost like someone handed me uh, uh, you know, a first aid kit and said, now go do surgery. And the reason that she was calling me wasn't because I was just a good friend. It was because I was their pastor. You see, sometimes life's messes, because we happen to be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it comes upon us, doesn't it? And there's the big pile of flowers sitting in the middle of the living room floor, and we're trying to figure out, well, what do we do next? And when I think about what do we do next in the whole life process, when life's messes come upon us because we happen to be committed to the gospel of Jesus, uh, this message of good news, right? This message of hope and salvation and of the kingdom of God reigning and ruling in people's lives and the world being set right. This message of good news uh, oftentimes brings with it uh, some of life's messes that we didn't expect. And I know that Paul knows all too well about life's messes. In Acts 27 and 28, let me just give you the rundown of this beautiful story that, that Paul finds himself in. I mean, Paul has been going and he has been preaching and he has been delivering the gospel wherever he has had the opportunity and he has had audience with kings and governors and, and people of great power and prestige and although he happens to be in prison, he knows he is absolutely free. And he, and he delivers messages to whomever will listen, and he continues to tell the story. Hey, did I tell you my story? And he goes all the way back, and he says, here, this is what God has done for me. And he begins just to lay out the message of good news wherever he happens to be. And there's some people that don't like Paul very much. And they decide on one occasion that we're going to, uh, to make sure that Paul is transported from point A to point B and in the middle we'll ambush him and Paul will be no more. Well, Paul gets word of this and he appeals to Rome. He's a Roman citizen, so he has the right to be able to do that. It means that he gets to go and stand before Caesar. And, and scholars don't really know exactly why it is that Paul decides to appeal to Caesar here, but he does. Maybe it was God's way of getting the gospel to Rome. We're not really sure, uh, but he goes ahead and he does it. And now he has a different kind of audience, but he has to go from where he is to Rome, which means he's got to get on a ship. Now recognize that Paul is a prisoner. This ship is a prisoner ship, right? This is a, a, not exactly uh, the Disney Cruise Line. This is not Royal Caribbean. Paul is a prisoner on a prisoner's ship. Now, he's got some friends in high places. He's got this centurion uh, that seems to be curious about Paul and his message, uh, which is good for Paul. So when they stop over some places, he lets Paul go and do his thing with his, his church folks and then come back. And, uh, and, and this serves him well, really, throughout this text. But they come to this stop as they bounce around the Mediterranean Sea. They come uh, to this particular spot. And in verse 10, now, now keep in mind that Paul is a scholar, not a sailor, right? 
I mean, he has spent his life uh, memorizing uh, scriptures that they had, uh, uh, going about the known world with this new message of Jesus, and he is a scholar, and yes, a tent maker, but he, he is definitely not a sailor. Are you with me on this? And he says, uh, hey, gang, I don't think it's a really good idea if we go on to the next stop. You see, it had been late in the year, and as sailors generally do know, the later in the year it gets for sailing uh, means it could be bad weather, like hurricane-type weather, you know, perfect storm kind of weather. And Paul says, hey, why don't we just hang out here, everybody? Two verses later, we find that they didn't listen to Paul. Everybody else took a vote and said, who wants to go with the scholar? And they say, nobody. And two verses later, they find themselves in the perfect storm. You see, uh, it was kind of one of those things where uh, they had the opportunity to winter here or winter somewhere else. And and you get this sense from the text uh, that nobody wants to winter in Buffalo. They'd rather go to Orlando. And so they say, who wants to winter in Buffalo? Nobody raises their hand. Who wants to winter in Orlando? And all the hands go up, and so they go on, and then they find themselves in this perfect storm, and seasoned sailors find themselves in unparalleled uncertainty. They're afraid, and they do what people do when they're afraid. They try and save themselves. Throughout this text, they like try and tie the ship together. They're throwing cargo overboard. Uh, uh, they're trying to, to tighten the ship just to make sure uh, that they don't die. I tried to find myself in this narrative. I tried to find myself like, if I'm on this ship and, and, and everything seems uncertain and death is almost a certainty, in fact, I believe it's in verse 20 of chapter 27, it says this, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued to rage, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. All hope is gone. Everything is lost. Certainty. Uh, the only certainty is that there's uncertainty. Everybody's afraid. We're throwing everything overboard just to try and keep it together. And I'm thinking, what am I doing on this ship? If I'm on this ship in the 21st century, I think I know what's happening. Today, if we're on the ship, everybody's on their cell phone, right? I mean, we're giving messages to our loved ones. Honey, I love you. I don't think I'm coming home. Please forgive me. It's text messages. It's voicemails. Death is certain. It's that kind of storm. And everybody is just saying goodbye. And Paul is there. Paul is there in the midst of this whole mess. He didn't ask for it. He didn't create it. He didn't want it. And yet he's there because of his commitment to the gospel. So the question seems to be when your life is committed to the gospel and life's messes find you, what do we do? What do we do when life's messes find us because the gospel is present? What do you do? 
Maybe you've made as your New Year's resolution, uh, maybe you've decided, you know what, Uh, we've been coming for a while and we want to commit ourselves financially to what God is doing in the ministry of Whiting Christian Church, right? Uh, We're going to be committed to doing this. And so uh, today, the the first uh, Sunday of the the new year, uh, you're all excited, Let's say two weeks from now, uh, you've kept those checks crisp, and you're like, yes, God, thank you. We're all in financially uh, to what you're doing in this ministry. And then uh, you get the phone call, and you lose your job. And you're like, oh, financial commitment over. Or, 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 or maybe it's not a lost job. Maybe uh, it's that your car breaks down. And you take it into the shop and they say, yeah, we think it'll be a minor fix and it ends up being $1,000 more than they estimated. And you're going, wait a minute. God, I committed to this. This was supposed to be like, you know, bright and shiny. Sometimes life's messes find you because you've committed something to the gospel. Maybe you've said all in. I'm all in with service. I'm all in with my life group and small group. And we're going to go about doing service in our community. And you go about doing that service in your community uh, because you have this commitment to this message that just continues to burden itself upon your heart. And you go out and you serve. And then that day you go to the mailbox and you open it up. And there's that person uh, that you've been trying to reach for such a long, long time. And all they have to say is negative things about the kind of service you're doing in the community. And it's clear uh, that they're not just attacking the service that you're doing. It's, It's clear that they're attacking the kind of person that you are. And you're like, wait a minute, God, I didn't ask for that. And yet you're committed to the gospel and it comes to you. Maybe it's a mission that you have committed yourself to, and, and there is a, uh, maybe there is a, a tension of politics, of people in power, where you happen to be and what you happen to be doing, and you just simply want to uh, look up into the heavens and say, God, uh, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be when I signed on. And quite frankly, I thought of you. I thought of the people in this church. I thought about the week that you've had. I thought about the people who were called. And you went, and you were there, and you were present, and you gave, and you give your time, and you give your energy. And you've written cards, and you have, you have posted on Facebook, and you have prayed Not because it's something that any of us would desire, but because you've said, I'm committed to the gospel and I'm going to welcome this mess because I'm committed here. I've wrestled with this text. I've tried to look at this text over and over again. What would God uh, direct us toward? What directions would he give us when life's messes come upon us? And there's two details in this text that I just want to raise with you this morning. There's a couple details that I think give us the direction of what we do when life's messes come upon us. I want to direct your attention to verse 23. Verse 23, it seems so innocent. It's kind of comical, actually. (laughs) I told you that Paul was a scholar, not a sailor. You remember me saying that, right? And uh, 
And here is Paul in the midst of this terrible storm trying to, to, uh, uh, to encourage. Uh, throughout this passage, he's like, hey, guys, it's going to be okay. Uh, you know, he's that smiling face, the thumbs up guy. You know, he's got a couple companions around him. Uh, but for the most part, this is a ship full of non-believers. It's a prisoner ship, remember? I mean, he's got some colleagues with him, but he's on a prisoner's ship. Uh, Paul really, uh, I mean, he acts like a leader when no one looks at him like one. Did you get that? And here in verse 23, he's like, hey, hey, everybody, uh, everybody, yeah, you in the back, yeah, you too, it's going to be okay. Uh, Paul, uh, how, how do you know, uh, have you looked around, you know, like these swells? Um, I don't think it's going to happen, Paul. And he says, no, 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 it's, it's, it's going to be okay. I know because an angel told me. Imagine being there, right? No, no, it's okay. An angel told me. Uh, I, I think you need to get rid of this guy, send him below deck. I mean, are you with me? I mean, you would do what I would do in that situation if we had no idea who this Jesus that Paul was preaching was all about. I think you're off your rocker. I think you're crazy. And so they do exactly what they're supposed to do because they have no idea about this Jesus that Paul speaks of. They go on and they continue to be afraid and unencouraged. But here's what I want you to see in verse 23. Just, just this small little detail that's so easily missed. An angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, don't be afraid. An angel with Paul. An angel with Paul. Now, now from the comfort of the 21st century, we know something about the presence of angels in the book of Luke and Acts. We just got past Christmas. Uh, we probably all read uh, the magnificent story uh, in Luke chapter 2, right, of Jesus coming and the shepherds and everything. Every time in the book of Luke and Acts, when an angel is present, it's a game changer. Are you aware of that? Every time there is a presence of an angel in Luke and Acts, it's a game changer. Something significant is about to happen. Something is about to break loose. Uh, now, just do a really quick survey uh, with me of, of the presence of angels in Luke and Acts. There was uh, uh, an angel with John the Baptist's parents. There was an angel with Mother, the Mary of Jesus, uh, Mother uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. There was an angel uh, at the end of Luke in the garden with Jesus and the kind of suffering that he is going to have to do uh, in order. In order to try and strengthen his mission, uh, there is angels in Acts uh, when there's, there's people who are imprisoned and they come and they're set free. Jesus really is strengthening the mission. In Acts 11, uh, or 10 and 11, uh, when we see the gospel going into the Gentiles for the very first time, we see angels present as if to say, this mission is going to go forward. Every time that you see angels in the book of Luke and Acts, you better stop and you better pause and you better look and say, what is of significance that's happening here? We should look and go, whoa, because God is revealing himself in that moment. 
God is revealing something uh, significant, and the game has just changed. Now, that's the first detail. Let me let you in on the second detail. In verse 34, again, uh, Paul is on the ship, and things are kind of going crazy. He's tried again and again to encourage the people. He said, hey, don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. Um, they, even, they even did that song, you know, don't worry, be happy. No, they didn't. Uh, that wasn't in the text. That was uh, just the Mike Cahill version. Okay, verse 34. He says, I urge you to take some food. You'll need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. And after he said this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all. And he broke it. And he began to eat. Paul is so convinced. Paul is so convinced that God is going to come through on his promise and his mission. No one has believed him. They're afraid. They're freaking out. But Paul is undeterred. Paul's anchoring himself in God's promise. And he anchors himself in God's promise by saying, you need some sustenance. Why don't you eat something? Now, I don't think that in Acts 27, this is like a hidden reference to the Lord's Supper, okay? But I do think that when Luke mentions the breaking of bread in Acts. It's done around people who are committed to the gospel. It's a momentous occasion. And what is striking is that Paul stops in the middle of life's mess, in the middle of this whole thing that he is involved in. And in front of everybody, Christians, his companions and non-Christians, pretty much everybody on the ship, He stops in order to celebrate what God has provided. So what do you do when you find yourself in the middle of life's mess because you happen to be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? What do you do? I think these two details point to what we do. You trust in what He reveals and you celebrate what He provides. You trust in what He reveals, and you celebrate what He provides. When you're on the ship, and it feels like it's going down, and everything is going on around you because you happen to be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you trust in what He reveals, and you celebrate what He provides. Let me unpack that just for a little bit. You have to trust in what He reveals. Now, it is unlikely that any one of you and I tonight or tomorrow or next week or next month are are going to have an angel visit them. Uh, uh, We're not probably going to have a dresser of ours blow up in flames, um, you know, for us to take off our shoes and listen, right? I mean, this is probably not going to happen. And if it does happen, I want to be the first person that you call because I want to hear all about it. An angel probably isn't going to do that. Probably not going to receive some new special revelation, but but we do have a revelation, and it's called God's Word. We have the Word. It's been revealed to us. And if we're willing to go to it, if we're willing to trust in that old song, right? 
standing on the promises of God, if we're willing to trust the promises that God has already given us in His Word, the kind of hope and salvation that exists for people, for you and me, and whatever may come, uh, when we're willing to stand there, the game gang has already changed because we're living that kind of life. And so if we want to trust in what He reveals, we continually found ourselves in God's Word, and we go over it and over it, and we say, God, what is it that you've revealed about how I'm supposed to do this thing called life? God reveals Himself in His Word. Another way that God often reveals Himself is just simply by getting down on our knees. The older I get and the more uh, opportunities I have to, to engage with people who are in ministry and doing church work, the more I see uh, the effects of prayer on ministry and on people's lives. When we are willing to get down on our knees and make our life a pattern of constant prayer, uh, God reveals Himself. You see, uh, the greatest mystery, perhaps, in all of the church is that God has given us this Holy Spirit that actually lives inside of us. And when we pray, we can hear, we can listen to what God is revealing. A while back, I was uh, talking with a good friend of mine. You know him, I think. His name is Randy Brooks. He's a church planner. And... uh, he was uh, needing some uh, new folks to just venture on this journey to, uh, to New Zealand, to plant churches, to, to spread the gospel. And, and, uh, and he, was just, he was just sensing, oh, like, there was just a lot of people that were saying no. And he said, you know, I got used to that, but, you know, it didn't seem like God was opening the kind of doors that I felt God was supposed to be opening. And, and uh, he happened to be going to Indianapolis a while back, and he said, you know, I had some downtime, and I was with a, a friend, and so we went to this mall, like, that was way out, out of town, and, uh, and I happened to see a couple there. They were coming up the escalator. It was like the last little bit the mall was open. They happened to be looking for a bathroom. And we happened to run into each other on the escalator in Indianapolis. And we began to talk. And their conversation went something like this. Randy, we're reconsidering our no. And I wonder if in those moments we can learn to trust what God is revealing you got to trust in what He reveals. you got to say, God, I trust you more than I trust me because you're God and I'm not. But we also celebrate what He provides. I probably already shared this story with you, but I'm going to share it again anyway because it involves you. Last year, we're going to Nepal. We're actually going back again this year. And I contacted uh, your leaders here, and I said, hey, uh, we have a budget shortfall. (laughs) We need around $2,000. And so uh, your guys got together, and you guys took up a special offering, and I just thought it was so awesome. Uh, The next day, I think it was Dan, he calls me, and he says, hey, Mike, I just want you to know it went really well, and the offering total was $2,003. Yes! But that's not even the end of it. 
Now, here's how cool this is, right? When I looked that day and I totaled up all of our expenses, the last of our expenses totaled out in the last digits were $2.93. God had met our needs by seven cents. You trust in what He reveals, but you celebrate what He provides. I ran out of the office. I went into my, my boss's office who happened to be going with us to Nepal. I said, Mark, guess what? You'll never guess what just happened. You see, could have God provided $2,000 and that would have been good enough and I, we would have celebrated? No, He provided $2,003. He met our needs by seven cents because it's a clear statement that God agreed with the mission that we were on. What do you do when your life is in a mess? You trust in what He reveals and you celebrate hard in what He, re- in what he promises what He provides. So before they kick me off, I've told you what you have to do. You have to trust, you have to celebrate. But I want to answer one last question, why? Why should you stay on mission? Why should you keep going? Why should you hang in when life gets interesting and it's messy? Why should you stay on a sinking ship? Now, what's really interesting about this text from chapter 27 to chapter 28 is that Paul goes from goat to God, right? Uh, He goes and uh, everything seems to be going well uh, uh, because... Uh, you know, they, the ship goes, it begins to break up. Um, they're about to kill some of the prisoners, but because Paul is a friend uh, to the centurion guard, he says, no, everybody goes to land. Everybody is saved. Yes, right? It's one of those way to go God moments. I mean, you expect there to be like this massive baptism on the other side, right? I mean, it's one of those you're like, oh, something's good going to happen. And, 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 and Paul, and they go to this island called Malta. It's where Dairy Queen originated. <laughs> I love that joke. <laughs> and Paul, I mean, just imagine the scene. They've just come out of the ocean. It's cold. They're wet. And so he does what people do when they want to help out. He says, I'm going to build a fire. So he's grabbing some firewood, and the snake comes up and grabs him and, and, and uh, uh, as, you know, fixes itself on him. And every one of the locals is like, oh, he got his. I guess he must have been bad, right? And they're all like sitting around like watching, waiting for the guy to die, they don't know who this guy is, but they're, they know that this bad news, oh, he was a bad guy. I mean, I guess the gods look poorly upon him. And, and, and it, he doesn't die. And then he is able to go into, I imagine, like this little hut, right? And he's able to heal. And after he heals, he goes from a prisoner to a god. They call him a god. Now, This is not in the text. But if any of the rest of Acts is a witness to us on this, I think that the entire time Paul is healing people from the island as the place becomes a mass unit, I think he's preaching the gospel. 
I think he's telling people about Jesus. I think he's telling them their own story. So why do you stick on the ship? Why do you endure the mess? Why do you welcome the commitment? You stick it out, gang, because the gospel is worth it. Because the good news needs to get out. When your life is committed to the gospel, life's messes will find you, but it is absolutely worth it. What I realized when I came to the end of this text and I was seeing all of this narrative take place and the story that my life finds in it, I realized that this is not a story about focusing on life's messes, but it's about focusing on the gospel. You see, this text is about our encouragement. This text is about saying, I don't know what kind of messes that you happen to be in because of your commitment to Jesus, but whatever it might be, you need to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ will always and forever be unhindered and unleashed. It's not going anywhere. It's going to stay, and it needs you to stay with it. When life gets messy, you trust in what he reveals, you celebrate what he provides, because the gospel is unleashed. Gang, nothing's going to hinder the gospel. And if you hang in there, just like Paul on the island of Malta, you might be able to come alongside of folks And you might watch them as they come to be healed. You might walk alongside of them and talk to them about Jesus and watch their life absolutely be transformed by the good news. You trust in what he reveals. You celebrate what he provides. Because the gospel is unleashed and unhindered. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. I pray for for a church right now that is still grieving. I pray, Father, that they handle their commitment to the gospel seriously and with reverence and awe and great commitment. And I pray, Father, that they will be encouraged, that they will know that the gospel goes on that the good news keeps rolling. And I pray, Father, that no matter what, they will trust in you and celebrate you. Our pledge is to love you and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.